Appreciate it. Welcome to Fusion Fellowship Group here in our wonderful study center. Um, very exciting teaching tonight. Looks like we're talking uh, through Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. That's exactly right. I'm just guessing. But I imagine if you follow along on this PowerPoint presentation, you will see the verses that we're going through. Also, uh, feel free to have your paper Bibles too. There's nothing wrong in that. Um, see, a quick, couple quick announcements. Set that real weird. A couple quick announcements. Tonight afterwards, we have a first ever annual, semi-annual talent show and with any type of show there should be a reward so before i get to the reward i just want you to know if you do want to do a talent it doesn't have to actually be something phenomenal just something that you think is a talent i'm fine with that um you're gonna want to sign up with me and i'll be over there after the teaching please feel free to sign up if you like it could be karaoke i have a speaker we could play a song and just sing your heart out it could be you want to do 1,500 jumping jacks. That's cool. Please do it. Um, the whole point is just for us to have fun and have a good laugh. We want to laugh together. And I think that's very fun. Um, now, we will have the best act of the night. And if you are voted as winner, you're going to walk away with a limited edition, one of a kind, 500 piece. <laughs> Take me to Great Britain puzzle. Okay? Now, this is limited edition. What was that printed? Normal cost is about $49.99, but tonight you're going to get it for free if you win. So, uh, obviously, you want to act your heart out then because there is a prize. Uh, in other news, we're going to be, uh, some of us are going to be in Florida for the next week. So there's no central teaching this Saturday or the following. Central teaching is just uh, we have all the adults get together in our church. We meet for one big teaching in that side of the building. Um, that won't be happening for the next few Saturdays, but we'll pick that back up in three Saturdays. And besides that, I'm sure there's going to be some type of hangout. Uh, I know some people, Tim was planning a trip out to D.C. for, uh, what was it, the flowers? Cherry blossoms. Cherry blossoms. So if you guys want to get a car together, you guys can caravan down. That sounds like a... Blast them like four or five hour trip, right? To get there. So, hey, that sounds pretty fun. The picture he posted looked very beautiful. I'm sure there'll be some other type of activities, so stay tuned to that. Uh, in other words, pray for our safe travels for our folks going down to Florida. Pray for some fun time for you guys here tonight, and uh, we'll get our teaching started. Do you want me to pray before you get up, or you're going to? Yeah. Yes, you want me to pray. Okay, all right, so I'll pray. And then, uh, yeah. And then uh, we'll get Evan up here to start our teaching night. If you have any questions, too, I forgot to mention, write down your questions at the end of the teaching. You can ask. We'll have a Q&A, and we'll talk about uh, your questions afterwards. So, Well, Lord, thank you so much. So we can get here together uh, today. Thank you for, uh, I don't know, it just seems like um, it's, uh, time just flew by before uh, it's Florida time. So that's very exciting. Pray that uh, folks have fun down there and folks have fun up here, too. Um, just pray for some good weather. Pray that that storm that's supposed to happen is actually just a fluke. And, uh, you know, something too crazy for people commuting and also just here as well. Uh, pray, Lord, tonight for just some uh, fellowship and uh, some cool times and fun laughter and uh, just having a, a great time as a, as a fellowship here. So thank you for uh, this wonderful building uh, we can meet at and uh, have events like this. And let's pray you speak through uh, Evan and Rich tonight. 
and give them uh, energy and just make it clear what you want us to hear tonight, Lord. All right. Amen. Evan. Yo. All right. Thanks, Carlisle. All righty. So, yes, Ephesians 5, 21. So romantic. (laughs) Very fitting. Uh, Our teaching tonight is going over marriage. Ooh. (laughs) A little bit of context on Ephesians here. Uh, For those who it's your first time or maybe you're like me and you forget easily what we've been going over over the past couple of months in terms of like specific content and such like that. Uh, We're in the back end of Ephesians, which is really the practical end of it. Uh, It's based, uh, this practical uh, applied advice or understanding of how to live your life is based on the first three chapters, which are uh, reinforcing really what God has done for us. You know, uh, he loved us in spite of the fact that, you know, we're sinners and uh, sinned against him. That he sent his son to die for us, uh, undeservedly, to live the perfect life. And then as a result, we have the opportunity to be adopted back into his family so that we can live eternal life uh, with him in heaven. And that these truths unlock in us the freedom from our uh, sin, not like a removal entirely from it, but a freedom from it, so that we can live more other-centered lives, instead of self-centered lives. So you can give back. So you could see how that might be relevant in a relationship that's supposed to span the entirety of your life, right? Uh, so most of us, that's actually probably actually not true right now, probably about half, 50-50 or so, that are married or not married here tonight. So the question might be, why the heck uh, is this relevant to me if I am not married? Well, Reality is, is that most of you someday would probably like to be married, and that for those of you that would not like to be married for one reason or another, uh, this is a deep dive into um, our relationship and what it looks like with Christ and what it looks like with God. Uh, Paul himself calls this relationship a deep mystery, which when Paul says that, you know it's extra deep. Whenever he gets into stuff, it goes over my head pretty easily. And so it takes some real care to dive in and get the uh, true understanding of what uh, marriage is meant to be here. So it's good to know what the inventor of marriage intended for marriage. So let's dive in here. Uh, excuse a weird jank like that. It wasn't initially like that, but hey, that's all right. I think you guys still get that. So, who wants to read our passage here tonight? Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. That's what I'm going over. Who's got it? Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Yeah. So, this has got to be like... uh, Top three, probably most controversial verses at this point. It says submit like three whole times, which I think is like uh, probably less socially acceptable or less like pleasant to hear than like any curse I could possibly think of. Like it's so natural for us to hear something like submit and kind of just uh, turn away from that. This is like, uh, I don't know, if I were to ever be canceled, this is probably the night, right? So let's get into what this word actually means. And in the past, we've got to contextualize this, right? Words mean things in a context, you know. Uh, for example, Monica, you have a dog which you love dearly. Mm-hmm. You also have family and friends who you love dearly, 
right? You also have a favorite food. You love your, this favorite food. You love your dog. You love your family. But you always see things in different ways. You not look forward to your favorite food in the same way you would look forward to eating Gemma. That was it, right? Words mean things in a context. So let's break that down. This is the Greek word for submit, huputasa. To arrange under, to subordinate, to subjects, put in subjugation, to subjugate oneself, or to obey. Which sounds like <coughs> submit is a pretty good use of the word in this uh, uh, circumstance. But we still have to understand how it is used in the context of this, in the original Greek. So how is it used? Well, it's used in a military way, meaning to arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader, which kind of falls in line with how we, like the average person might hear the word submit, right? Uh, absolute authority in all things over you, right? That's kind of what comes to mind when you think of being submit to someone or to submit someone. Uh, to literally be ordered around by higher ranked people that are more important than you are. And uh, this is sort of how we approach marriage today, largely, the culture does. Um, a relationship where the most important thing, this is true for all relationships really, is whether or not I'm getting enough of my needs met. Whether or not my goals, my opinions, my feelings are catered to as much as at least, but for the honest with sales, probably a bit more than the other person. And the only real answer the world has to this reality, which sounds less like a relationship, less like a marriage or more like a like combat, really, is to try and balance it as much as possible, which really just ends up being a power struggle with no trust that can be built because you're just out to get one over on each other which typically revolts, results in divorce. Most marriages, if people get married anymore, result in divorce, right? A lot of people here probably have parents who are divorced or have gone through divorce themselves. Is this what Paul means? This would be a direct contradiction to other things he has said, like in Galatians 3.28, that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. How can somebody be the head of somebody else and yet also... One. There's another use of this word hupotasso. A non-military use, which is the one we're using right now. A voluntary attitude of giving in to cooperate, to assume responsibility, and to carry a burden. And this is a hint, really, to what marriage in a biblical context really is. And this is what Paul is trying to get at here today. So in order to get a better idea of marriage, let's go to the original marriage. The first marriage there ever was between Adam and Eve in Genesis. Who wants to get this for me? The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Oh, did you want me to and? Yeah, I'll think. I'll think that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both, both naked, and they fell. Yeah, 
All right, so this is just after uh, post-animals, right, where Adam got to name all the animals and kind of found out that they were all insufficient in terms of, like, uh, a companion. So God offered a woman for him. So they were made for each other by God. And it says here, this is what marriage is, for us to leave our fathers and mothers and to be united to our spouse, to become one flesh. So this is a bind, a relationship so deep uh, it transcends, transcends just a physical relationship. It's just not just sex, but also uh, is something very deeply spiritual to the point where both of your lives together take on the appearance of a single life. So let's read Matthew nineteen three through 6. Who wants to get this for me? Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Having you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Yeah, so this is like that spiritual aspect that I was mentioning, this, uh, what God has joined together, right? So we... Interact with when we get married, right? You have sex, and uh, that's both of you guys uh, physically joining together yourselves. But there is some sort of a, a spiritual aspect to this where God is joining us together, and this is why marriage is worth fighting for under God's understanding of it or intention for it. There is massive strength to go through life with a companion <clears throat> until you die. You know, it's a difficult relationship, certainly. Uh, they're going to be sinful just as much as you are. Uh, this stuff, this relationship opens up your heart, kind of tears away as much of the layers as possible. Like, you know each other so well uh, that it's so easy to just destroy one another uh, if you're being pretty, if you're careless or, you know, intentionally trying to look to hurt each other. But despite all that, despite the, the fights and the hurt and the anger and conflict, you are committed for life. You're committed until death to build each other up, no matter how you screw up, like we're in it together. This offers a really good offer, a really good environment to, for raising children. Uh, to, like my own experience growing up, I was so lucky to have two parents that viewed marriage this way. Uh, and watching them do that very thing, struggle with one another, you know, fight with one another, hurt each other, and then come back, identify, I hurt you in this way, I'm sorry. And for the other person to be like, I forgive you, like, I love you so much. You know, uh, all I can do is forgive you, right? Uh, is so huge when I, I'm just understanding more and more how like selfish like kids are when they come out, right? They like uh, like the, the moment they start expressing like anything, it's like a, it's a very selfish thing that's like tied into it so deeply. So to be growing up in that, absorbing all of that as a kid is humongous. Um, so how is it then? Like it says in verse 23, that one person leads, but we're both equal. Well, Rich is gonna be hitting on that, but. Uh, we are equal, but we are not identical. There are different roles that we have. Uh, in Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. Right? So there is a difference between us. There is a... Uh, like, sameness isn't what we're identifying here. We're identifying equality. It's more than just a physical one. We're given different roles. Uh, which is a difference that if... Uh, you know, Rich and I are both dudes, so if we were to get up here and just teach this whole thing and talk about, you know, what a woman's role is and stuff like that, I think it'd be kind of weird. 
So I asked Kayla to sort of talk about what her experience was like before with her understanding of how like sort of what marriage was in the world, coming to like hear about it, and then to eventually decide to get married. So I'd like her to get up here and talk about her experience with that. Nice. Kayla! to not, you know, bring up a difficult situation that might lead to conflict. 
Um, there are also times where I would uh, fight Carlisle and nag him to get my way when I thought he wasn't listening to me. Um, I would just bring up my side over and over and over again, trying to like beat him over the head until he just understood me, <laughs> was kind of my, how I would explain it away. Um, but really this was like, you're not doing what I want and I wanna force you into my way. And I think about when we bought our house, um, this definitely happened. Uh, initially when Carlisle showed me our now house, I was instantly like, this is a joke. Like, this is not at all what I pictured for us. It's way too small. It's not modern enough. It's not pretty. Really important qualities in getting a house. Um, and I just, I thought we could do better. I thought, you know, let's just increase our budget just a little bit more, um, take a little bit more time to look. And uh, I really, at the heart of this, I think I believe this lie that Carlisle was holding out on me and he wasn't considering what I wanted in the situation. Um, and when I wasn't supporting him in this decision to even just look at the house, he wasn't even on board to buy it, just go look at it. Um, it led to a lot of tension and it just made things unnecessarily more difficult than they needed to be and it just drew that, that tension out. Carlisle would feel frustrated and um, I'd start doubting his intentions and feel like we were working against each other. And this really started to impact, you know, other areas of our, of our marriage. What I didn't realize in the situation was that Carlisle had a list of things that he wanted in the house. Um, he wanted a garage. He wanted more than one bathroom, let alone the really teeny tiny bathroom we now have. Uh, he wanted um, air conditioning and a dishwasher and all these other things that just didn't come with this house. Um, he was actually making his own sacrifices and giving these things up so that we could live below our means so that hopefully, eventually, I could stay home with our kids, um, which is something that I really want to be able to do. So... Um, I started to see that like Jesus, he was dying to himself and his desires for my good. Um, and when I finally decided to get on board and trust his leadership in this area, I realized that he was prayerfully leading me, um, leading us in a really good direction for our family and that this house would actually answer prayer from God in a lot of ways. So once I did get on board um, with like, supporting him and submitting to his leadership there. It was really cool to be working together toward the same goal instead of against each other, even if at first I was uncomfortable with it. Um, when I would follow his lead, Carlisle felt that I trusted his decision-making and that um, was really encouraging for him to continue doing that. And uh, I also realized once I started to submit to him um, I actually felt really taken care of to have him leading our family and making these decisions, and I actually really enjoyed that dynamic. Go figure, it's in God's design, so of course I ended up, you know, ended up being a good thing for me. Um, but also it was really encouraging for me to see the impact that uh, it made, like when I trusted him and let him lead us, it made this really big impact. Um on our relationship, on him, and how he continued to lead, and just in general how our family 
functions. It, uh, it just made things work a lot better than when I was trying to fight for my own desires or opinions. Um, that's kind of all I had with that. Awesome. Thank you, Caleb. Yeah, you hit on a couple of points there uh, that I'd like to touch on just a second more. Uh, here in verses 22 and 23, you know, it says to submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Um, I just want to make this point on submission uh, in a bit more of a simplistic or clear way. That sub, an act of submission was the most powerful thing a human being ever did. The reason that every single one of us are here, the reason that we have an opportunity at all to have a relationship with our Father is because the day before, uh, because, because uh, the Son decided to submit to His Father's will and die on a cross for us. This is like just before He gets crucified, just before He gets arrested. And Christ says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This is an act of submission. He knew that he was going to die. He knew it was going to be painful. He was going to take on every single sin after living a perfect life. It wasn't fair. And yet he still did it. This is a difficult thing for us to realize because all we can feel is that submission is like this, I don't know, limiting thing. But an act of submission was the most freeing act ever done it's because our understandings of these things are totally screwed up our understandings are very limited don't look down on submitting and second of all in verse 24 as the church submits to christ submit to your husband so that's an important thing to draw out just a little bit here uh, that christ submits uh we, 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 we submit to christ so also as wives should submit their husbands and everything so when we submit to Christ, we're submitting to a spiritual leadership and authority. So uh, if tomorrow I was to tell Lindsay, I have this fantastic entrepreneurial uh, opportunity. I'm going to start a, a league of assassins and murder everyone I don't like um, and who people don't like. I would expect Lindsay to call the police because that is immoral and not spiritual, right? She doesn't have to submit to that, right? You submit to spiritual leadership. Not literally everything I decide is a cool thing. There's probably a lot of pretty cool husbands in here, but I imagine uh, said wives of said husbands are like, yeah, sometimes you're a pretty big numbskull. Uh, <laughs> right? So, um, you know, keep that in mind, uh, that when your husband is leading, certainly imperfectly, you know, if he's looking to, you know, like Kayla's talking about with Carlisle, looking to, uh, you know, suss out what the Lord's will is and to uh, act on that, you know, back him up. You guys, you wives here... Um, <laughs> you know, can make or break a marriage, you know, so easily. Um, I've experienced this recently, just taking on a lot more in a lot of different ways, you know. Let's kind of remind what you're talking about, Kayla. I'm going through it right now, you know, looking for a place. A house is terrible. The market's awful. Uh, trying to have a kid, you know, work getting busier, trying to provide so I can, like, so Lindsay doesn't have to work, things like that, you know. Just feeling uh, totally spent, uh, this month, kind of getting into a bit of a depressive slump and uh, feeling like I'm insufficient and a failure, things like this. Hard to get out of, even out of bed some days. 
you know, uh, seeing Lindsay just unprompted start to like pick stuff up. That's a big deal for me. Let's pick up chores. Like I, it's such a dumb like sounding thing, but that really like makes me feel very loved when people do stuff like that for me. But even way more than that was just, uh, you know, while prepping for this teaching and kind of being at the lowest uh, I've been in a little while and her just telling me that she's got my back and that she believes in me. Like, uh, didn't resolve all my problems, but suddenly I was like, I, I can keep pushing forward. You know, it didn't make me feel okay, but it was like, I got someone who's got my back in this, and this is going to be all right. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep fighting to, to do what the Lord wants me to do here. Um, totally cracked a lot of my self-pity and things like that open, so... Lord's truly blessed both of us, Carla, with spiritual women. That's pretty cool. But I keep panning at this role that this, us dudes have and haven't really talked about it at all. And there's still some issues in terms of like how leadership is actually like equal with somebody else. So Carla, we're going to get Rich up here and he's going to talk about that. All right. Awesome. Thanks. Smooshy, smooshy. Whoop. And probably that. Boom. Amazing, thank you. Yep. All righty, good to see. Oh, there's a lot more people here than I thought it was. Amazing. Good to see everybody here. Um, now you may have been wondering. I thought Craig was supposed to teach tonight. Wasn't Craig supposed to teach tonight? You are exactly right. <laughs> I'm not Craig though. Uh, Craig got the stomach flu Sunday, and he was like, "Maybe I can't teach. I don't know. We'll, we'll stay tuned," as Carlo would say. <laughs> it was Tuesday. He's like, "Hey, I'm feeling much better." And I'm like, praise God, dude, you're still teaching. Awesome. <laughs> Wednesday afternoon comes, he's like, I'm puking again. Somebody needs to teach. And I looked at that message, and I waited for 30 minutes. <laughs> Not this time, Craig. Uh, yes, I did, yep. He knows. Uh, yep, you know. So then I begrudgingly said, all right. I'll do it. I'd rather meet for home church than not, right? It's an edifying time getting together. And my heart was just not into it. But studying this and getting for the Lord, so beautiful, so cool to get into his word. And what a privilege and honor it is to share God's word with you all. Um, so that was my, you know, 20, 24 hours of submitting to God in this way. Um, so picking up this, this idea of marriage here, it's what we're talking about tonight in Ephesians 5. God, in his infinite wisdom, he created marriage at the very beginning as a gift to us, so it's a good thing, and as a picture, as we'll find out later in Ephesians 5. And he gave certain roles based upon the gender of the people. As we, uh, well, Evan didn't read this, but he read the part right after this. Uh, Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So God had just created the universe, he had created the earth, he had created the sea, the animals and everything. He said, it's good, it's very good. He makes man, he says, this is not good because he's alone. So God created a woman as a helper. And so as we've been learning in Ephesians, the wife is to submit or to support, right, the husband. And the husband is then to lead the family. The husband is in a position of leadership. And so the rest of the teaching will be talking about, one, what is biblical leadership? 
What are we looking at here when it says that wives submit to their husbands who are the leader of the family? What is that leadership? What is God's charge to the husband? So God charged the wife to submit. What's God charging the husband? Is he saying anything to the husband? Yes, he is. We're going to find that out. And thirdly, what's this hidden meaning of marriage? Right? We said that uh, Evan alluded to it, and I just alluded to it, that marriage is a picture of something. That there's an actual hidden meaning in marriage that God had not revealed to, to anybody until later on. And so that's what we'd be finding out here in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be taking a look at these three things. So let's go on. Leadership. What is it? Well, I can tell you what we know what leadership is like when we look out into the world, right? We see domination and power tricks. You see it at work all the time. I don't know if you have a bad boss or if you've ever had a bad boss. Raise your hand if you have. Many of us here have had bad bosses. They do not hesitate in making you know and everybody else know that they are the boss and you are not. Why aren't you doing this right? Why aren't you doing more work? Why aren't you doing it faster? Listen to me. Yada, 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 right? This is domination, right? They're looking to dominate you. They're looking for a power trip. You see this sometimes with police. Uh, I've seen a bunch of videos where police, I've got pulled over where it's like, boy, you realize how fast you were going? (laughs) Give me your license, right? And you see like, basically, and I'm I'm not saying all police are like this. In fact, God says the police are good because they protect us from a lot of the evils. So God's given them that authority in this world. But some police use it as a power trip, right? To dominate you. They have the authority. You're following their rules. And so you better listen up. You see this in some marriages too. Um, Husbands demanding of their wives, Woman, you better make me dinner tonight. It better be good. It better be hot. It better be pizza, right? (laughs) That's a silly example. But you see all throughout history, Men, husbands, dominating their wives in this kind of way, in a demeaning way, and calling it leadership. Uh, You find, you know, people say, we look out in the world, you look at a leader, and they say, oh, they're more valuable than the helpers or the workers. You know, my CEO at my company, you look at him and say, man, he's a lot more valuable than me. He makes probably quadruple what I make, maybe more, probably more. Um... You know, that CEO, he's much more valuable. He's got a lot more things going on. Me, I'm just a peon compared to him. That's the kind of leadership we see in the world. And we see also that if you're a leader, all the decisions rest upon you. Everybody's looking to you to make those decisions. You're the only person making those decisions. And so you're held accountable to that. So that's leadership in the world. That's kind of what we see on our day-to-day experience. Well, that's not what God says leadership is. God says leadership comes from a servant heart. Here's what he says leadership is. Mark 10, 42 through 45. Who can get this for us? So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those people. All right, hold on. Sorry. I don't want to interrupt my wife. That doesn't usually happen. But (laughs) (laughs) he's laughing. So this, pizza. yeah, I get cold pizza. Not hot, not right now either. Um, the, we're just talking about this, right? Rulership in the world is like 
They want to lord it over you. They flaunt their authority right in their face. You must submit. You must obey. So Jesus is calling out, this is what you're used to. This is what you see in the world. Continue, my lovely wife that I interrupted. (laughs) But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for men. So it's to be different among God's people. God's people are not to flaunt their authority over others or to lord it over themselves. It's different. It's becoming a servant or a slave of another person. That's what biblical leadership really is, being a servant. Jesus points to himself as that example. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve you. Jesus was a leader. Jesus is a spiritual leader. In the same way, it's with husbands. Okay, this is what God says leadership is. That the husband is a slave of his family. For you to say that you're leading your family doesn't mean you're dominating your wife, you're dominating your kids. It means that you're a servant to your wife. That you are a servant to your children. That you're not always getting your own way. That what you're doing is for the best interest of your family, like Kayla was sharing with Carlel on the house. The best interests of the family. You're not getting your own way. You're thinking about the family. A husband is not more valuable than his wife. Okay, even though he's in a leadership position, he's not more valuable. Right? That's that's kind of what the worldly way is. Okay, the CEO is the top guy, he's the top value of the company. But biblical leadership says, no, 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 you're not more valuable, you're more responsible. That God views men in marriage more responsible he looks to them he holds them in response uh, for responsibility for the direction of the family how the family is going kayla kind of alluded to this in her sharing i don't know if you've ever seen this basic jordan you've been going through basic right have you gone through this yet just did the first night just did the first night very good this is called the trinity okay we have the father the son and the holy spirit the father is not the spirit the Father is not the Son. However, all three of them are God. Okay, It's three persons in one essence. This is kind of a picture of that. Um, they play different roles, and it's very similar to a husband and wife coming together and being unified, right? To becoming one flesh, uh, uniting into one. Different roles, and yet they're one. For example, John 6, 38. You can get this for us. For I have come down from heaven... Not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Right. So in the Godhead, in the Trinity, just like Caleb was alluding to earlier, Jesus submitted to the Father. Not my will, but the Father's will. That's what I'm here to do. That's what I came down to heaven to do. Not my will, but God the Father's will. And so there's leadership in the Trinity. God the Father is the leader in this this case. But just like Caleb said, man, you, you said it so well. Jesus isn't less important. Because he submitted. They're different roles, but they're unified in the love relationship that they have with one another. Um, That's an important point there. And God says leadership um, is that the husband also submits. So the world's view says, no, 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 they make all the decisions. You can't say one thing around it. No, no, no. That's not true. The husband also submits. Verse 21. Oh, Oh! Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You love to see it. Verse 22, 
talks about wives submit to your husbands. This is the verse right beforehand. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is in that same context of the marriage. So we're submitting to one another in the body of Christ and submitting to one another in our marriages. We're all to submit to one another. Now, God says, wives, specifically you submit to your husbands, but husbands can also submit to their wives in, in a way. You know, a wise man will defer to his wife's wisdom when it's good. Wife has a good idea. Hey, I think we should do this. And I have a different idea. I'm like, well, yours is, mine's better. Yours is stupid. When in fact, her idea is much better than mine. And I got to, hey, Becky, you're right. I'm going to submit to your idea. You had one. Very good. No, she hasn't borrowed one. Um, she's great. She's very intelligent. But a wise man will defer to his wife in that way. In a way, submitting to her leadership there. Because she's also following Christ. And so now that was leadership. Now we're getting into God's charge to husbands. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Who's got this for us? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and blameless. All right. So the main imperative here for the husbands is what? Love your wives. Love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. We are to love our wives like Jesus loved us. And so just a quick discussion here before we go on. So we're to love our wives like Jesus loved us. How did Jesus love us? What are some ways, some characteristics of Christ's love for us? Does anybody have an answer for that? There's many ways. Go ahead. What are you were saying? He died. Yeah, he sacrificed his life for us, right? He died for us. That was a way he showed that he loved us. That's how he loved us. What's another way? Like emotional, empathetic. He empathized with us. He empathized, yet he had compassion on us, right? He understood where we were coming from. Um, how broken we are. He came down in the same kind of way, right, as, as a human being. Persistent. Right, he never gave up. He was persistent. He never gave up on us. He could have easily done that, and yet he didn't. He pursued us in that way. Yeah, Kayla. Think about how he served and um, like put others first, like when he washed the disciples' feet. He humbled himself, yeah. right? So he's God. And he's washing the disciples' feet. God, what are you doing? You're the leader. You're the head honcho here. You're washing my feet. And eventually, he did the ultimate thing by dying for us, right, on the cross. He humbled himself to the point of death. Those are good answers. He submitted to God's will. We just talked about that. That's the way he loved us. He took initiative. Yeah, he took initiative, right? God's love initiated with us. He emptied himself, right? He was in heaven. He was chilling. He was all good. And he came down to this broken earth and he emptied himself of all that divine power to live as a human being. Excellent. This is how Jesus loved the church. Very good. So God is saying, husbands, love your wives just as Christ uh, loved the church, right? Just as Christ loved us. 
like he sacrificed for us. God is saying, this is the model that you are to be for your family. This is the golden example, is Jesus. So husbands, not only are you a slave to your family, or remember, a servant leader, it's another way of saying it, but you're also a martyr, that you are to love your family unconditionally, without strings attached, just like Jesus did. Remember, this is the gospel, this is the heart of the gospel, that when God created us, everything was great, but then humans rebelled in the garden. Since that point, there's been death, there's been destruction, there's been nothing but pain since that point, since sin entered the world. And so God's looking at all this destruction, all this sin, all this death, and he's saying that there must be a payment for that. Romans says the wages of sin is death. So that's what God sees. He's seeing all this destruction, right? Opposite of what his will is, opposite of what he created it for. He's saying there's got to be payment. Instead of judging us on the spot, God put on humanity and walked among us. He loved us. He pursued peace with us. He had compassion with us. He was truthful. He spoke the truth. At that time, he was wrongly accused. He was tried and he was sentenced to death on a cross. As Jesus was on the cross, as we were nailing, as humanity was nailing his feet and his hands into the cross, what did he say? Right, Lacey, exactly. Can you say that louder? Uh, forgive them, Father, for they do not know. Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. Even to the point of him being nailed to the cross, in that moment, he says, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So God poured all his judgment, all his wrath on Jesus Christ. And Jesus didn't look at us like, shamefully. He was okay with it. Right? He wanted to die for us, for us in that way. That's the heart of the gospel. That's what Jesus did for us. That's his unconditional love for us. That even though we were nailed to that cross and we deserve hell, we deserve God's wrath, he took that upon himself. God came down and took that upon himself. Beautiful. This is unconditional love. This is how Jesus loved us. And this is how God is calling husbands to love their wives unconditionally, just like Jesus loved us and sacrificed everything for us. And so we need to live out the gospel in our marriage because the gospel is love. The gospel is the ultimate example of God's love on earth. And that's our high calling as husbands is to love our wives in this way. One way is we need to sacrifice for our wife's benefit. Um, this is what, kind of what Kayla was alluding to with Carlel. Um, his goals, right? He wanted that garage. He wanted AC. He wanted more than one bathroom that wasn't tiny. Okay? He had a lot of goals. And yet, he considered his family very important. And he set those goals aside for, for the love of his wife and the love of his family, right? Sacrificing for the wife's benefits. So Kayla doesn't have to work forever, right? She can stay on with the kids when they have kids. Sacrifice your money, right? Maybe you got to buy some stuff that you're like, oh, maybe you're a tightwad or something. And you're like, oh, I don't know if we should get that. Is it beneficial to your wife? Is it reasonable? Sacrificing your time. This is a big one I know my, my wife appreciates. It could be off doing our own thing, riding motorcycles or fishing or doing whatever, like doing things that I want to do. And yet, God's saying you got to sacrifice for your wife. 
right? Leave those things aside. Spend some time with your wife. Sacrifice in that way. Take initiative with your wife. You know, many of us here who are married most likely start dating our wives, right? We didn't have an arranged marriage kind of thing, probably. Dates, man, those are pretty fun. Dates are fun, especially for women. They love, they love being taken on dates. Uh, my wife was. And so it's the same kind of thing when you're married. Taking initiative with your wife in that way and on date night, very important. That's like the first thing that's always shared at guys' bachelor parties. When there's advice, it's like, hey, never stop dating your wife. It's like every time. And it's true because that's initiating with your wife, just like Christ initiated with us. Making your wife feel loved. Um, a lot of that's spending time. You know, with Becky, she loves when I hear her out. And I take my time, and I listen to what she has going on in her life, right? I en- and engage her. I invest in her. I spend time to make her feel loved. So initiate with your wife. As your wife drives spikes into you, because she surely will, <laughs> pray for her, right? Pray for her. Sometimes, you know, in my marriage, it feels like sometimes Becky's my enemy at that point. So there's some conflict going on. She's driving spikes into me, and I'm like, that one hurt. That's okay. Pray for your wife. It's okay to be in that kind of conflict. That's what Jesus did for us. He prayed on the cross, right as the spikes are being driven in. Forgive her. Forgive them, Lord. And the husband's the same way. That's God's charge to us. Love your wife unconditionally. Even when she's mistreating you, pray for her. Um, this is in verse 26, so that he might sanctify her, uh, that may, you know, cleaning her up in that sense, making her more mature, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So this is what Jesus says. Jesus washed the church with the word and he presents her blameless, right? Sparkly, shiny, looking good, man. Just like your wife on the wedding night, looking great, all done up. And so as your wife drives spikes in you, you've got to pray for her. You know, creating a vision for your wife. Are we creating visions for our wives, those of us who are married? Are we bringing up truth in a gentle way? Not smashing her down, but just like Christ is saying here, cleansing her by the washing of the water of the word. Christ isn't coming in with a uh, pressure washer, right? Making sure that church is clean. No, no, no. He cleanses her gently with the word. Finally, uh, we need to joyfully endure. This is Hebrews 12, 2 through 3. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Husbands, you're going to be crucified, man, by your wives. That's okay. Jesus saw that and he said, it's a joy. Bring it on. Put another nail in me, baby. Ain't no thing. It's amazing what's happening after this. Jesus was not appreciated. Jesus was scoffed at. Yet he welcomed it. He's like, there's going to be so much joy that's going to be happening. That's all right. And so one question for husbands to wrestle with here tonight. You know, what if your wife never loves you the way that you want her to. How about that? Right? God's command to her isn't the same as his command to you. 
God's command to her is submit to your husband. God's command to you, husband, love her like Christ loved us. God doesn't have the same kind of calling there. God wants us husbands to love unconditionally. Not that wives can't. Of course they should. But that's not what God charged them with. That's on the husband. Continuing on in 28 through 30, who can get this for us? So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Very good. So, husband, you know, all of us could take care of our own selves, right? You love your own body, you love your wife. As much of a beast as men are, as savage as we are, as animalistic as we are, we manage to take care of ourselves, right? Um, sometimes too much in that sense. But your wife is a part of you. God has joined you together. And you must nourish her. Just like you nourish yourself. Just like you eat and take care of yourself. If you mistreat your wife, you're really mistreating yourself is what God is saying here. You have to love your wife as you love yourself. And so, this is towards the end here, but I just wanted to go over maybe some tendencies in marriage. We kind of usually tend to go either way based on our personality. Usually we're pretty overbearing, and this doesn't really have to necessarily be in marriage, but that's the context here tonight. Maybe if you're not married, are you more of an overbearing person or are you more of a passive person? So let's look what that, what that would look like in marriage. The overbearing husband intimidates his wife. Oh, you see the volcano there, right? That's the overbearing, right? Oh, right in front of your face. Explosion. Overbearing husband huffs and puffs and blows his wife over, right? In conflict, he's barking out orders. He's intimidating his wife. I happen to fall under this. I'm an overbearing husband. Warning for us overbearing husbands here. First uh, Peter 3, 7, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Right there. We're equal. Men and women, equal. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. And so I'm definitely stronger than Becky. No doubt about it. <laughs> I could win some arguments with her, man. I got some words I can use and just totally run her over. And this is what overbearing husbands do. They run their wives over. You're such a failure. You don't listen what I have to say. You're not doing things right. Whatever. You know, for me, you know, I get angry sometimes. Um, especially when we have a conflict and we're in a car ride. I'm just like pressing that brake pedal a little harder or maybe just speeding up a little more than I usually would and I shut down and I make her know I'm angry and you can't approach me. To my shame. To my shame. Um, not great. God says that my prayers will not be answered when I'm acting that way to my wife. When I am overbearing, when I'm crushing my wife. God is not going to answer my prayers. Now, I think a lot has changed in our marriage, which is great, hopefully. Is yes? Yes. You're not under compulsion? You're not overbearing you? Okay. Um, 
God takes the side of the downtrodden, right? He's on the side of the wife in that case. Where, no, 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 husband, you are misusing your authority in this marriage. You are not to intimidate or overbear your wife. You are to love your wife. A couple things to think about if you're an overbearing husband. You are married to God's daughter. If you have a daughter one day and he's, you know, that her husband is treating her like crap, what, do you, what would you do? You'd be pretty angry, right? And so it's that way with God like times a million because God loves his daughters more than I could ever love if I have a daughter one day of my own. God loves them way more. And so we're married to God's daughter, all right? Let's not mistreat her. Let's not intimidate her. And if we go on intimidating, what are we teaching our children, right? That we don't cherish and we don't esteem our wife. What's that going to show them? Maybe the daughter's like, man, I'm not that valuable. I just will shut up and be put in my place. Or the son, like, wow, I can do that to women? Awesome. Great. Children are watching. And so if you're, over, you're an overbearing husband, you got to watch out for that. That's not what God's leadership is calling you to do. Maybe you're a passive husband. It's like that little ice, the uh, mountain right there, right? Cold, frigid, distant. Um, the passive husband withdraws from his wife. And God is saying, that's, that's not okay, man. The wife is your responsibility. Your children are your responsibility. You cannot withdraw from that. You can't hide away. If you don't like how your household is going, how about you serve? How about you lead by serving your family? Your wife and children are going to suffer because you're cowardice of withdrawing from the family. God is saying, no, 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 you don't have to yell, you don't have to scream, you don't have to intimidate your wife or your children. You can serve them. You can love them in that way. It's okay to delegate leadership, all right, but not responsibility. Sometimes maybe your wife is way more gifted than you in some areas. Maybe your wife is really good at prayer and she's always journaling or she's always wanting to initiate prayer. It's like, hey, honey, why don't you initiate prayer? That would be great. Delegating over some leadership to her, right? Or maybe she's really good at finances and you really suck at it, and like in our case. Um, hey, baby, that's great. Thank you for doing that. You can lead in that way. Awesome. Uh, you can delegate that, but it's still your responsibility. You know, if Becky spends all the money, I can't be like, what did you do? Right? As a man, I got to be in there and saying, I got to know what's going on. I got to take that responsibility there. We are responsible before God. Wives, you're not getting away. Oh, no, no, no. Maybe you're an overbearing wife here or overbearing person in general. You don't have to be married. What you do is you emasculate your husband. Oof, not good. What do we have to learn here? When you emasculate your husband, when you say it's going to be my way and I'm taking charge and you're out of the picture, I'm taking control, you're not living out the way that God wants you to live. You're not living out the way God intended marriage to be. Proverbs 21, 19. It's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. Oh, that's God, man. That's God saying that, not me. Uh, this is what God is saying here. If you have an overbearing wife, it's better to, you better be going out to the Sahara Desert, man, because you'd be better off there. Um, maybe you're an overbearing wife. You're fed up with your husband struggling spiritually. You're angry. He won't step up as a man and lead the marriage. 
it's maybe possible that you're the hammer that's keeping them down on the ground, right? Overbearing uh, your husband there, being mean to your husband. You have to learn to encourage. How can I encourage my husband? How can I build him up? How can I support him in what he's going through? Even with his failures, even with his struggles, how can I support and not nag? That's what's going to keep your husband to the ground, all right? Just nagging him over and over. You could say, hey, husband, have you met with so-and-so for discipleship yet? Not yet. Oh, that's all right. Hey, what can, what can I do that can be helpful here? Can I pray for you guys? Can I do this? Can I do that? Whatever it might be, you know, how can I encourage? How can you encourage your husband? Maybe you're a passive wife here, and you live by the First Peter 3, 4. You know, wives, clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. So the passive wife is like, oh, I'm so gentle and I'm so quiet. I let my husband lead. It's like I'm not even here because I'm so quiet and gentle. That's the issue. You're disengaged from the marriage. That's bad. If you're disengaged from the family, that's going to lead to a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. You're also a leader in the sense, like we just talked about. Um, the hu- your husband will never be the man that God intended him to be unless you speak up, unless you're engaged in the marriage. My wife happens to be passive, okay? Big surprise. Um, there's been times when, you know, we've had some communication issues, but there's been times when, you know, there's one time, you know, a season where I would just not really eat dinner with her. Because I was off busy doing other things. I got softball to go to. I got working out. I got this. I got that. I got to take a nap. That's really important. (laughs) And uh, Becky was feeling really hurt about this. And she made it a strong point to let me know this is not okay. I want to eat dinner together. I don't want our family to be off going off doing whatever they want. when We should be together sharing a meal. And I said, damn, that's, you're right. You know, and I felt very loved by that. Because I was completely blind to what I was doing. Um, and she spoke up. You know, even though she's passive and a lot of times holds things to herself, that was very important to her. And so she supported me in that way. She spoke up and spoke truth in my life. And so those of you who are passive wives, speak up. Your husband is doing something idiotic and stupid. I mean, he doesn't even know it. Speak up. Say something. Finally, we're going to wrap it up here. The hidden meaning of marriage. Um, Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. You can get this. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great. I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. All right, this is the hidden meaning of marriage here. The great mystery. This is not Scooby-Doo, okay, in the mystery van. That's not what mystery meant. Mystery meant it was hidden and now it's revealed. Back in Genesis 3, God designed, God's design here, a man shall leave his father, the two shall become one. He was showing a picture of us and Christ. The relationship, the unity that we can have with God himself. That the church actually throughout the Bible, especially in Revelation, is referred to as the bride of Christ. Revelation 19, there's a huge wedding God talks about between Jesus and the church. It's great. We don't have time to get into it here tonight. If you want to read it by yourself, do it. I highly encourage you to do so. 
There's going to be a point, brothers and sisters, where we will know God fully, just as we are fully known by God. That that's going to happen. That this kind of unity, this kind of marriage-like relationship is finally going to happen between us and God. This closeness, right? A picture of God's redemption. Finally, in verse 33, Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So marriage boils down to this. Husbands, are you loving your wife? Wives, are you respecting your husbands? I'm just going to end with some book recommendations. These, if you're interested in learning more about marriage, um, what it's like, what it looks like, how to have a good marriage if you're married now or in the future, these two books, Love and Respect by Egrich. Um, now it says there, remember, lo- husbands love your wife, wife respect your husband. This is the kind of uh, idea behind it. I was blown away by this book. I never understood. There was one example where there, he kind of put it in the way where guys have blue hearing aids and blue sunglasses and girls have pink hearing aids and pink sunglasses. And the, mis- the message gets all mixed up because you're speaking in this language and this person's hearing this other thing and it gets all weird. I made, did a bad job explaining it. It made total sense when I read it. Read the book. <laughs> Super good. Okay, y'all know what I'm talking about. I read it. Uh, blue, pink, yeah, yeah. Uh, Timothy Keller, Meaning of Marriage, another excellent book. Quick read. That was super helpful. That was a book my wife and I read right before we got married. Super great. So if you're looking to get married, or you're married right now looking to get refreshed on these things, or whatever, okay, these books are extremely helpful. We'll go way deeper than we went tonight. And that's it. Very good. All right. Any questions? Any sharings? Yeah. What's your name? Jonathan. Jonathan. Nice to meet you. I'm Rich. Yeah. Well, I'm not married or whatever, but mm-hmm. uh, there's things in my life that's like keep me from like uh, I don't find the woman of my dreams and whatever. But uh, is there like uh, any regret that uh, that I'll never get married? Is there any regret? Yeah. Oh, like if you don't end up getting married? Yeah. Um, well, God, Paul actually brings that up. Uh, and one, I think it's in Corinthians, he says, actually, it's better that you don't get married. Because when you are married, your attentions are divided, right? So a lot of my time is spent loving my wife. I could be, you know, doing whatever. So that's one aspect of it. Um, and that's okay if you don't get married. Some people are not going to be blessed with marriage. That's okay. Um, God is completely okay with that. You don't have to be married to be important or significant. Um, Marriage, in fact, is a picture of our union with God. Just like it said, that's, that's what the mystery is. The mystery is that marriage is a picture of us being united with God fully. Um, so it's okay if you're, you don't end up getting married. Some people aren't going to do that. There's nothing to regret there. Um, because the unity that you have with God, the future marriage, which it talks about in Revelation 19, is going to far surpass the, any marriage you have here on earth. And in fact, there won't even be marriage in heaven. There won't even be marriage in heaven. Um, there's going to be no giving away of any brides or husbands. Um, the marriage relationship we have here on earth, the relationship is still going to continue on into heaven, but it's not going to be a marriage relationship because we're finally going to be united with God. That was a picture of what's, what's to come. 
Um, so yeah, that's a good point. So even in heaven, there's not going to be marriage. It's just going to be us unified with God. I could just add something to that. Too. Yeah. Uh, marriage is a gift. It is a good thing. But the Bible also refers to sickness as a gift, too. Yep. So, yeah. That's the other thing that I forgot to say. You're right. Yeah. yeah, it's not It's not inferior to marriage. It's just different, but it's also a gift. So. Yeah. yeah you still... Sometimes I think it's a gift, sometimes it isn't. My, yeah. 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 Doesn't always feel that. Yeah. yeah in, in reference to being we single. Did the same thing. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Grass is always green. Yeah. Yeah. You still you still get an opportunity if you come to know the Lord to engage in uh, like serving one, one another in the body of Christ. You still have the opportunity to find significance in in acting what the Lord puts in front of you in terms of like reaching other people and serving people like that. Yeah, marriage is, we don't exist. Like The Great Commission isn't go find a wife, right? It's to, it's to, it's to make disciples. Uh, so, you know, that's something to keep in mind, right? Mm-hmm. Thanks. Lena? Um, great job. I appreciate Okay, so as someone that used to get really angry um, at the idea of submission, um, I really appreciate the way that you guys framed it because it took a long time for me to like recognize what submission actually is versus what it's not. Um, I used to think that submission just sort of meant that I went along with whatever my husband said and that I didn't get to have an opinion and I didn't get to like be a part of the decision-making process, a lot of what Kayla was saying, and um, I was not like willing to be submissive. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But uh, I will say that, and like I've been that overbearing wife in our past. And I, I hope I know that I can be still sometimes. Um, and that's been very kind and very patient <laughs> with me when I am that way. But I will say that one of the most powerful things that he has done in our marriage is that when I am trying to drive those stakes into him and like drive those nails in there, he has been like, okay, I'm going to go pray for you. I'll be right back. You know, or he'll in the minute be like, we're going to stop now. I'm going to pray. Do you want to pray with me? Mm-hmm. And even in those moments where I'm like, no, I don't have anything to pray for. <laughs> I'm not going to be grateful for. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to pray. Yeah. And I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray for our marriage. And I will say that it completely disarmed me. Yep. And like, got me to my, like, to a place where I could recognize, holy oh, shit, I'm being such a bitch. Like, mm. like, I'm being so stubborn and ungrateful and unwilling to hear what he has to say. And so mean. Um, but that change couldn't, like, couldn't have happened in my heart without the Lord. Because, you know, a, strand, a cord of three can't be broken. Yep. And I will say that, like, significant change in marriage or significant change in any relationships is possible because even before Justin and I were married, I was still the overbearing person. I was still an overbearing friend. You know, when I was in conflict, I was trying to force people to, to try to do what I wanted them to do. Um, and I had to pray, you know, that I was, I wanted a gentle and quiet spirit, and like pray for that consistently. Um, and the only reason that I'm even able to say that I, 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 you know, I'm not perfect at it, but I'm a lot better than I was, <laughs> is because of God. You know, and change is possible, and it's, mm-hmm. but it's only can happen. Significant lasting change only happens through Christ. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, it's really cool. Thank you for sharing all that. Yeah, those are all great points. Um, oh. Uh, I will say, like, the reason why people had such a problem with submission is it's taught wrongly a lot in other oh, yeah, churches, yeah. where it's like, 
you must obey your husband. It doesn't matter what it is. The husband can bring up this, you must submit card, and you must do it. Yeah. Um, and that's not the case. That is, you know, that's like a slave-master relationship. And that's not what marriage is. That's not what God intended marriage to be. Um, so unfortunately, a lot of Christians do teach that. And it's totally, it's totally wrong, and it, no wonder why people are turned off by it. And like, I think it's really cool that, that God paints a picture of, of what marriage is and it's real, but it's loving. Um, like if you, I don't know, I don't know, I don't think you, either of you probably seen it, but um, if you've seen Love is Blind not on Netflix, <laughs> um, it's like, they call it a social experiment where people like, can't see each other, they just talk about it, they talk about the related, like talk to each other through a wall, they can't see each other, and then they get engaged. So like, people are like saying, I love you after three days, and I'm like, oh my God, that's terrifying. But anyways, um, if you watch yeah. the whole season, it's essentially these like people trying to take love from one another and be like, decide if they're going to make it to the altar and actually like for real get married. And they're like, okay, well, are you giving me everything I want? Are you loving me the way I want to be loved? Do you make me feel the way I want to be <laughs> felt? Like, like the way I want to feel? And that's not what marriage is. Um, mm. And so you look at that, I don't know, I've been watching it going, it's like a train wreck, I can't <laughs> not. Yeah, yes. I can't look away. But um, it's just really cool that God paints a picture of what real intimacy is, like mm-hmm. what real love and acceptance actually. Yeah. Very good. Stephen, what do you think about? With the modern negative connotations associated with the word submission, mm. submit, that's where a lot of the, I guess, contention, contention comes with those <clears throat> passages. Do you feel that with the colloquial definition of submit? Is the correct translation modern or would you have a better word or words to use rather than the generalized definition of submit? Uh, well, the translation is pretty spot on. Uh, that's why you kind of have to deconstruct it so you understand it, right? So would there be a better word in modern modern language to use submit or is it submit the right word it's just we're not i mean there's a lot of baggage that comes with submit that's, because that's it's been taught so wrong for uh, so yeah. long so i mean that god uses that word yeah to, so i'm okay with using god's words um, just to, because the culture doesn't agree with it sorry about yeah that. to to move to a different word could very easily lose out on something an aspect of it you know i uh, because it does, it's it like that thing, right? Because it, it took us like, you know, 10, 15 minutes, and then on, on your yeah. half, it took like another five minutes just deconstructing all these words and reconstructing them, right? But you kind of have to do that because if you were to just change it and then like read through it and flip it open, someone would be like, that's what I'm going to say at all. A. And then B, uh, certain aspects of the word submit would be lost in that. Um, I would struggle in this moment to come up with one, you know, uh, serve is a pretty close one, uh, but there's still an aspect of like, like you are deferring uh, to someone else's spiritual leadership in that case. And, and serve doesn't really cover that at all. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Maybe. But it's a good point. It's difficult, but it's worthwhile walking through. And, and threshing that out. Got it. That was my. That was really the yeah. question. I think it'd be hard to replace. Yeah. yeah. I think I know that um, I've had conversations with my sister about this, which my sister uh, just like has that really negative connotation mm. of what submission is. And I remember like, because she's like, 
I'm like, oh yeah, I, I submit to Evan. And she's like, whoa, what does that even mean? And then I like broke it down and explained to her. And she's like, oh, that's something different. That I'm cool with. And I'm like, what? but that's the word. And she's like, oh, I don't have a better one, but that's not the same thing as what I knew it as. Yeah. And so I think that um, just what you were saying, it, it's worth it to like go back and almost like re-teach it and reclaim that meaning for it because yeah. it, it's more helpful and then it it gives a better understanding of who God is too. Yeah, and you're, you're hitting on like an idea in like studying scripture of like you have to go back to what Paul meant. You have to go back to, this is like 2,000 years ago, right? When this stuff was written, you have to do this because otherwise, you know, weird stuff happens. You know, you gotta know, there, there wasn't an original intent that you can learn. That is true yeah. in all scripture. Yeah. There was an original intent. It is clear. You can learn it. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. kind of a cool thing. <laughs> Just take some work. But I like what Rich said too about um, this is the word that God uses. I'm mm-hmm. not going to go far from that word. I think the problem is that we have a problem with submission, thinking of submission as a bad thing. Obviously, it's not the word, it's our idea of what submission is. It's like thinking of um, like a support role. Uh, like a, a support role is somehow a lesser role. It's mm-hmm. not a lesser role. It's just a different role. Yeah. So we have, you know, we we think of it like in that hierarchy that the world does, and that's not the biblical thinking. Yeah. So yeah. So we link so this word submission. We link it to the definition of leadership, to the power monger. Yep. And so when we put the power monger with the, the subservient thing, like mm-hmm. that's just a bad mix. Yeah. And when we understand, you know, what God said uh, about from the beginning, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and here's how, here's what it looks like for the wife, and here's what it looks like for the husband. They're both still submitting to Christ in those roles. And I think it's really cool that, you know, earlier in Ephesians we talked about, um, hey, God has prepared good works for us. Mm-hmm. And this submitting to one another is, is clearly one of those good works. Yep. In, a, in a marriage relationship, at church, you know, friendships and work, whatever the thing is, uh, that's submitting to one another in love is part of the good works that God has laid out for us. And in the marriage roles, it looks like the things you guys laid out today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Great way to explain that. Thank you. I think it's good. just even jumping off that a little bit more, um, the, the idea that a woman gets to be a helper, um, one of the things that I've found that's been like, actually super cool is that the Holy Spirit is called the helper and so like that can be someone that is my example like men get Christ as like a very clear leadership example but the Holy Spirit gets to be women's and how the Holy Spirit like encourage us and urges us and gets us to move and grow and like I don't I just empowers us yeah yeah, it's so cool when you get to like dig down and look at that where it's like the Holy Spirit is in submission to God the Father though mm-hmm. too and so like there's so much more that's really cool with that that yeah. I think is easy to just get like tossed over because you're mad that I have to be a helper I'm not a leader and yeah. but like you still get to have those roles it's just it's different yep Carlo? Awesome. Carlo. Hey, uh, that was a school teacher. And uh, I think that you guys laid out pretty well. Thank you for 
for uh, asking my wife to share. I think she's pretty good at that. Yeah. <laughs> stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> Careful what you wish for. My life recently more is cultivating a higher gratitude and thankfulness for my life. We've been going through this book and discipleship called Point Man. Yeah. Which is basically demonstrating what spiritual leadership should look like in a family. And a man leading uh, his family correctly, and how Satan definitely tries to, um, you know, go after the man as much as he can with temptation, or maybe because, you know, if he can knock him out, then usually marriage can topple from there. Um, it's a very cool book. I think one of the things that's been striking me was this quote from the book, where it says, "We get up in the morning, leave for work. Our kids get up and go to school, and we probably won't see them until dinner." Same with the wife. We've lost a significant amount of time with our uh, kids and wife because the demands of our culture have taken away, uh, taken the time away. This means that Christian men must realize the necessity of being present in the home. When you deduct commute and work time from our waking hours, and for those of us here who are, are taking classes and serving in different areas, more time from that, at best we have only two to three hours that can be used for uh, being with one another. And, uh, it truly really was shocking at you know the busyness of life and how crazy it can be, like the importance of date nights. But it's also like, you know, I was sharing with a couple of my guys. You know, when I get home, sometimes I, I fall into the um, uh, just lazy time. You know, taking that nap or like I'm watching something. Please don't talk to me right now. <laughs> uh, oh, lit. And it's like, you know, uh, cultivating that spirit of thankfulness. I'm so thankful that you want to talk to me right now. Mm-hmm. Let me pause the TV for a second. Let me listen to what you have to say because this is meaningless compared to what you have to say to me. Yeah. And a good verse to back that up that I also found very uh, interesting, also just like helping me to be like extremely more thankful uh, for my wife. So maybe due to your American, take note for this. Um, Ecclesiastes 9 9. Enjoy life with the women who, whom you love, so your wife, all the days of your fleeting life. Which God has given you under the sun. For this is your reward in life. Your life is your reward in life. Uh, And he goes on to say basically your labor. But but (laughs) you got to be doing that. It's so true of the reward that God has given us. It's like, how how are we treating our lives? Um, Are we thankful for our lives? It really just changes the attitude, I think, greatly of, of. my marriage and, and how important my life is. Um, and it just grows more and more because it is a gift from the Lord. You know, I mentioned that Proverbs verse a few weeks ago about uh, you know, our wives are treasures. The Lord has given us and uh, it's such a beautiful gift. So um, I think this is a cool teaching and a reminder of how uh, thankful we should be for the lives that the Lord has given us. Yeah, absolutely. That's a cool insight there. Well, shall we then pray? Uh, yeah. How about we have one person pray and close us down? Go for it. Yeah, Lord, thank you very much for this teaching tonight. It was very, very inspirational and intellectual. Through you, everything is true, and all truth is through you. Thank you. Well, God, just uh, thank you.
for getting us all here tonight, just hearing your word. Um, thank you, God, for setting up marriage, and it's just a picture of actually just us and you, how you want to be unified with us. Thank you, God, for sending your son down for us to die for us and make all this possible. I uh, just pray for anybody here tonight that doesn't know you yet, that they would uh, just consider that you want to uh, enter into an eternal relationship with them and that uh, they would receive that. So we lift that up to you, God. We lift it up tonight. We just invite you into our meeting here and our fellowship. Amen.